Hey guys, welcome to one of my first live videos here as Bigger Hearts Deeper Minds. This is actually a live video that's going to be cut up into smaller podcast episodes and posted probably through Bcast, potentially on YouTube as well. Hopefully you guys can hear me. Uh, yeah, I hope everyone's having a good morning. I'm just driving here and uh, figured it would be the perfect time to do some podcasting for Bigger Hearts Deeper Minds. So let's go ahead and get into it. There's a lot on my mind, uh, as I'm sure is on the minds of anyone watching this as well. And uh, especially if you follow politics, it's just been it's been an insane year, um, as we know. Everything from COVID and the Delta variant to Afghanistan, inflation. Um, there's all kinds of stuff going on. But uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, first, I want to talk about Afghanistan and just some thoughts that I've had ever since the whole uh, really humanitarian crisis that's unfolded over the last couple days in Afghanistan and is still ongoing. It's not like it's over by any means, but there's so many dimensions here. So first, I just want to say that um, obviously, if you're probably older than, I don't know, 25, you, you're very familiar with 9-11, which is coming up in a couple days. Obviously, if you uh, you know, if you're younger, you probably still know about 9-11, but not in the same way that other people do. I remember being let out of school early that day. And my parents talked to me about what happened later. Uh, and, you know, it was uh, it was pretty intense, obviously. It was one of the worst days in this nation's history, uh, as well as, you know, it's really bad for other countries as well. But obviously, we all know why we got involved, why the U.S. got more involved in Afghanistan. We had been involved in, you know, that part of the world before, but certainly nothing to the extent that we did after 9-11. And, you know, Saddam Hussein was a really bad person, and he caused a lot of uh, violence and, you know, division, and that, that situation needed to be dealt with no matter what. Uh, we can't, you know terroristic threats on anyone's life is a grave danger and so we we can't we can't allow real terrorists to be you know marauding around and, and causing violence and bloodshed and political mayhem that being said i don't believe we should have as a country i don't believe we should have ever been involved in afghanistan in the way that we were i being someone who definitely leans libertarian um, and would consider myself libertarian many times. I don't believe that it's our job as a country to involve ourselves in anyone else's political or economic or social business. We, we have a different culture here in the U.S. than the Afghanis do. We're, we're very different people. We have different cultures. We have different norms. We have different economic and political structures. Um, you know, it's not the United States' job to be the policeman of the world. It's never been our job to do that, and yet, sadly, we have done that so many different times. We've done that in Vietnam. We've we've done that in Europe. We've, you know, we've we've done that all all across the board for decades and decades. And many people who any if if you study U.S. history, you study politics and you know geopolitical movement, you would know how deeply the U.S. has been involved in so many other things. We've been We've always sought to stamp out things that we disagree with wherever we disagree with them. We also invade countries for 
you know, minerals and resources and commodities that we don't have or can't produce or don't want to produce here in the States. I firmly believe that that's never been our business. We, we should have never, we should have never been involved in so many of the things that we've been involved in. And we've, we've paid the price. We've, we've had millions of civilian casualties, um, throughout the years. We've, there are so many things that we've done wrong in the name of justice or trying to find, you know, things to stamp out or just saying, you know, we, we have to end, you know, whatever it is. But I just wanted to say that, that I, I firmly believe that we, we have never, we've never had good intentions to be there. We've always sought oil and, you know, things that, things that belong to other countries. You know, we, we create division, we, we create the problem and then we swoop in with the solution. And that is never a good thing. It's, it's interventionist, it's selfish, it's domineering, it's, like I said, it's policing the world. So uh, I wholeheartedly and firmly believe that we should have never been in Afghanistan as long as we were. And I, I think it's a good thing that we are getting out as quickly as we possibly can. Now, that being said, I don't believe that the way the exit was handled was appropriate. Clearly, if if we are, if it's our job to protect someone, even if it's, even if we're there for the wrong reasons, if we have been assigned the responsibility to protect people and protect a nation, we need to do that. We need to, we do need to fight against bad forces. We need to fight against any militant extremist group. Um, that just needs to be a reality. We can't, we can't leave when there's human lives on the line. We have, we have to take responsibility. We have to be the protectors that we can be. Not necessarily that we're supposed to be, but that we can be. So I don't believe that the situation was handled well. I don't believe the situation was handled wisely or intelligently. If Joe Biden's intelligence on the ground had answers and had, had information that he was not taking advantage of as commander in chief, that, that's a grave danger right there. We need, in situations like this, even if we're not responsible for fixing a problem or providing every solution, we need to be responsible for what we're responsible for. There's no other way around it. Add to that the fact that people are fleeing for their lives and trying to run away from a crisis and you know keep themselves protected. That's all you can ever ask of someone. You can't. You can't ask you know, individuals to, you can't ask individuals to change the course of a nation or defeat a political upheaval. You can't do that. All you can do is expect people to be responsible for their own lives, their own families, and to some extent, their own country. But for the most part, most people are just going to fight for their own lives and defend their own lives. And I think that's completely acceptable. What's not good is leaving people out to dry and letting them, you know, basically fight to get on airplanes and risk dying just to get out of a country that is uh that is never going to go well so it's a massive humanitarian crisis out there there are obviously thousands of there are thousands of americans there still are thousands of americans in afghanistan um there are people who had nothing to do with how this situation unfolded who have their 
lives, some of their freedoms. Um, they have everything on the line. They're being forced to fight for everything they know, and in a matter of probably less than a few hours, I would imagine. Someone's honking behind me because they want me to go. I rarely turn uh, right on red unless I am in a rush to do something. All right, sorry about that. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's men, women, and children who are now fleeing. They had to leave, you know, they had to leave their homes overnight. And they're trapped. They're doing everything they can to get out of it. I'm just heartbroken by this terrible crisis that's been thrust upon people at the last minute. I can't imagine dealing with that. I've never dealt with anything remotely close to that in my entire life. Things that happened last summer in the U.S. look tame compared to everything that they're dealing with out there. So if you are one to pray, I ask you to join me in prayer for the people who are out there suffering and fighting for their lives. I won't be praying right now, I'll, I'll be praying separately, but you know, it's it's a really bad situation out there and all, all that someone can do is hope that things get better, um, you know, send resources if you're able to, make donations to companies that are doing good things out there. Do everything you can to be a part of helping people if it's possible. All right, <clears throat> let's, uh, let's move forward into the next topic. So something else I've been thinking a lot about is, especially during COVID times, you know, how, how can people be, how can you be staying up on the news and consuming content regularly without overwhelming yourself, falling into a rabbit hole or, you know, just not thinking for yourself, I guess. And one of the biggest things uh, that I've found that helps me take specific times out of the day to consume content. Don't consume content all day because if, if all you're doing is reading the news constantly, number one, you're gonna be overwhelmed. Uh, but number two, you're you're going to probably start to hate the world and to hate life. It's, it's not easy to be just consuming news all day. It's it's mentally exhausting. You you start reading things about inflation and the Fed and banking and crime and people who are being politically sassy with each other to put things very mildly and congressional decisions being made, you know, it just it just goes on and on. There's there's no way to ever get to a point where you'll know everything that's going on. So you should consume content specific times throughout the day. And, uh, you know, just give yourself a break. Allow yourself to be mentally refreshed by something else. Don't, don't take it upon yourself to feel the burden of consuming content all day. It's not something that anyone can do and ever feel ultimately wiser or better for it. It doesn't mean you'll be ill-informed. In fact, you'll probably be very well-informed. But... What's difficult about news consumption all day is it, it forces you to forget everything else that's important in life. And so by that, I mean relationships, work, family, relaxation, um, health, spiritual growth. These are all things that are antithetical to the news. The news is always going to depress you to some degree just because of the messed up and fragile and, you know, terrible world that we live in. Now, I stay informed because I want to know what's coming down the pipeline. I want to be prepared for things that will happen next. But 
I'm not going to consume the news to enrich myself or to necessarily learn more about the subject. It's more checking in periodically to see what's going on and yeah, just to understand what, you know, what's coming next. What should I be looking out for? How can I prepare myself for that? The next thing I would recommend in how you listen to the news and consume fresh content like that is pick a couple trusted sources. Pick like, you know, three to five sources where you'll get most of your news from. The reason I say this is because not only are most, you know, news sources out there biased and corrupt and they're just going to be peddling opinion when they should be sharing news is you know, when you are able to find unbiased news sources, you're going to get the information that other people probably wouldn't tell you, but that you need to hear anyways, because that really is the news. The news isn't the information that you want to hear in the way that you want to hear it. It's, it's what's going on right now, whether or not you realize it and whether or not you agree with it. So I'm going to share a couple sources of my own uh, for people that either are looking for unbiased news sources or at least minimally biased news sources. And then, you know, people who have tried that already, but it didn't go so well in there, they're looking for other sources that they can trust. So allsides.com, that's, that's A-L-L-S-I-D-E-S.com, allsides. They specifically curate and pull news from all across the spectrum. So, and, and they will rate, they will rate the news based on you know what they're leaning is so you'll you'll see stuff like Fox News will be on the right you'll see things like CNN um, will be on the left you'll see things like Reuters and USA Today and Axios you know stuff like that is more centered you'll also see things like the Epic Times and Reason and the New York Times Los Angeles Times you'll see Washington Post so the point is they're gonna give you all these uh, major and you know smaller news sources, they're going to tell you what their political lean leanings are, what their news bias is. They're also going to give you their own report, and you can sign up to support them monthly. I think for as little as $5 a month, there's probably bigger packages too if you're interested in that. But what I really like about All Sides is I can see exactly what's going on on All Sides. I can see what the left is saying, I can see what the right is saying, and then what I typically read is the center because I don't really care what the left or the right is saying. I, I might on occasion, or I might to see, you know, if it's laugh worthy, but I'm not going to read something that, you know, I'm not going to read something from the left or from the right uh, on the basis of this is correct and this is what I should be reading more of because I know that they're not going to be giving me the full story. Another one that I've really been using a lot recently, and I, it's very similar to all sides, but it gives you more coverage percentages, is Ground News. That's G-R-O-U-N-D, News, Ground News. There's a site and an app similar to all sides. You have to pay to be a premium member and get their, their full coverage benefits and the full range of content that they offer. But uh, you get to see you know, what percentage of the left, center, and right is covering a particular element um, or a particular news story, and then go from there. Um, you can also save these things to like, you know, Pocket and uh, Medium is another good reading app. Medium is a little bit broader than just a news app, but yeah, I really I really like what, what these apps are doing. Um, I will be honest, you know, I, I go I go to sites like Intellectual Takeout and Reason 
trying to think. I've started to read Axios a little bit more. They're they're pretty good with their coverage. I don't. I often feel like Axios is giving me just the facts and very little spin, if any. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I try to just I try to start broad and then you know go down from there. And it's really important to have those unbiased news sources. You can see what you're, you can see what other people are thinking and saying about a particular topic, but then it gives you the chance to think what you think about it. And that's what brings me to my next point is, it's important to consume news, but it's important to reflect on it as well. I, I don't, I firmly believe that you, you can't, you can't fully understand the news. You can't fully see things in context unless you take some time to reflect. And if you aren't taking time to reflect, then you're really just thinking what other people think about things. It's important to have a worldview in which to consume news, because if all you're doing is consuming news and you're not, you're not understanding it in the context of a worldview, then what that comes down to is everything you see is just essentially random. We never know what direction things are heading in the world. If we have a worldview, which basically you can sum up a worldview in a couple questions. A worldview is, where did we come from? What is the purpose of life? Where are you going? And what happens after you die? And if you can answer all of those questions, then those answers are your worldview. If you can't answer those questions, it either means that you're being dishonest with yourself and you know what your worldview is, but you're not admitting it to yourself, or you haven't done research to understand what your worldview is. So that that's why it's so important because I, the worldview I have dictates the way I understand everything else that's happening. Now, obviously, what I'm not trying to say is that there's always, there's always going to be things that happen in the world that you don't understand why it's happening or why it's happening now. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is it's important to understand the direction that the world is heading. And if, if, you, if you don't have that personal worldview for yourself, everything that's happening in the world, you're, you're just going to be subjected to it. You're not going to have a firm sense of, I understand the world is going this way with monetary policy or economics or sociocultural issues. You're not going to understand those in the terms of worldview. You're just going to see, why is all this chaos happening? Why are all these bad things happening? And so... Yeah, firm up your worldview, figure out what you believe, why you believe it, um, because if you don't, you're just subjecting yourself to mass chaos. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about was uh, future future election stuff. I I watch politics closely, as people, people who watch this show understand. I think we're going to see some of the most some of the most unprecedented things in the next couple of years for U.S. elections that we have in a while. I mean, number one, I, I think the 2020 U.S. presidential election obviously changed the viewpoint that a lot of people have on that. I think a lot of people have lost faith based on several different opinions that have come out about the state of the U.S. 2020 presidential election. I think people who did believe in Biden and did see him as their champion. Some people have definitely been disillusioned. There's only about 31 to 32 percent of independent voters approve of the job that Joe Biden has been doing as president. There is a very low approval rating of Joe Biden as a whole. It's I think it's somewhere around 41 to 42 percent. Something like 
Something like 90 plus percent of Democrats approve of the job that Joe Biden is doing. Uh, something like 94, 96%, somewhere around there, of Republicans disapprove of the job that Joe Biden is doing, which obviously both of those are not surprising. Independents and Republicans believe that the economy, the U.S. economy, is doing poorly right now. I would share that view. Inflation has probably never been worse in the U.S.'s history, at least as far as I'm concerned. Certainly not. It's certainly never been this bad in my lifetime. You know, most Democrat voters believe that the U.S. economy is doing fine, which also isn't surprising because when you have someone in the White House who is on your side and, you know, your, your leader is in the victory chair, then it's not surprising at all that you would think that things are doing well. But I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who still support Trump um, I don't support Trump or Biden, and I I voted for neither of them. I would never, never vote for either of them. But I think we're going to see some really interesting things happen in the next couple of years. I, I could honestly see, I really don't think that Biden or Kamala would win another, you know, another term. I could honestly see Trump winning it. I could see someone else winning it. Um, I, I don't think it's likely that an independent candidate or the libertarian candidate, you know, whoever ends up being nominated, I don't think it's likely that that would happen, despite the fact that Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen received the second highest amount of libertarian U.S. presidential votes ever. I think the first highest was Gary Johnson and Bill Weld. I did vote for them and uh, Joe Jorgensen and Spike in this last, you know, most recent presidential election round. Obviously, we would need <laughs> we would need way more than uh, a million votes. We would need, yeah, we we would need tons and tons more millions of votes to even get close to the possibility of a libertarian presidential candidate winning. Though I would say I would consider it a massive win if we could get libertarian visibility on presidential debates and just more media visibility in general. Obviously, that does depend on budget. Money talks. You know, you know, this is this is how the world works. Is money is money is what moves the world forward. Money is how you know opportunities are opened. Money is how doors doors are opened to presidential issues and debates and things of that nature. It is not possible to make an impact without money. And if you if you don't have money yourself, you have to you have to fundraise. You know, there you're not going to get money to just show up. And most people, I, I think, the best candidates are the ones who are not going to accept, you know, big campaign donors and and corporate funding and things like that. Obviously, it does move you forward. Um, as far as visibility, raw visibility goes, but there's no question that Americans are clamoring for a viable third party. Something like an MSNBC poll a couple of years ago, or actually I think just last year, said that 82% of Americans were considering voting for Joe Jorgensen. Now, obviously, 80, 82% of voting Americans did not vote for Joe Jorgensen, and that worked out the way that it did. But it just goes to show that people are really desperate for change. They want something different. Naturally, people are going to go for the classic, quote-unquote, truism of vote for the lesser of two evils, um, at least in their eyes. You know, vote for what's ultimately more comfortable and familiar than what 
could bring about great change, but it's going to be completely different, or they don't want to have to justify it to their friends and family, or they want to be accepted by their friends and family, and so they'd rather vote for someone that the people that they like voted for, rather than voting for their, you know, voting with their conscience, or just not voting at all. You know, that's that's another big aspect of this. People feel like they have to vote. You know, we call it things like you're performing your civic duty and doing things that, you know, people seem to think are necessary, but nothing is ever really necessary. You just have to do what you believe in, and you have to do what your convictions tell you to do, even if that includes not voting. I fully believe that not voting if that is what your values most closely align with, that is better than voting for someone who you don't believe in or someone who you just want to crush the other guy. I genuinely believe that, you know, there's millions of people who voted for Biden just to do an anti-Trump vote. Um, I don't think that's an ethical decision. I don't think that's an honest decision. I think that if you are going to a restaurant just to, you know, not support another restaurant you obviously can do that but that's not exactly how it works plus if there's more people who support the other restaurant that you're going against you know the restaurant that you support will still get your money but other people are still going to give money to the other restaurant so it really depends on what is a successful restaurant appeal what's a successful business model for that restaurant and that's what's going to dictate everything else that we do and yeah so i i think you know republicans and democrats and of course libertarians green party independents everybody you you always got to be hustling there's there's no way to ever there's no way to ever assume that just because you were in the white house recently your party had power recently that you're going to continue to do well you always have to be getting out there making your case known winning over a variety of voters you know, Democrats consistently have to hit rural areas and the Midwest, which historically and, and still present day tend to be uh, pretty red leaning, you know, pretty uh, either independent or conservative. Democrats consistently have to hit those areas. And, you know, Republicans consistently have to speak to the uh, crowds that are living in cities and tend to have higher education levels, tend to be working in different market sectors, um, you know, so it, it, it completely depends on what what problems you face, how you're going to solve them, what your budget is, the people that you have to reach, and the messaging that you use to reach them. Uh, it's no secret, especially for those who follow politics closely, that using messaging of a nature where, you know, use, using messaging of a nature where you, you basically say, you know, if Trump, if a Trump ad campaign is like, you know, Biden's going to be cracking down on guns and he's going to make sure that this country turns into a socialist nation overnight and there's going to be no more 2A, you know, it, or on the flip side, you know, Biden's talking about like, or to Trump supporters and saying like, you know, or sorry, <laughs> had it the other way around, uh, talking to Biden supporters about Trump, you know, Trump's going to be you know, cracking down on immigration and he's gonna, you know, he's trying to be a white supremacist and all this stuff, you know, both of which are, are pretty extreme on both sides. Obviously that type of political messaging works. It works to be able to tell people 
don't vote for the other guy, vote for us, because if you vote for the other guy, you're going to get this bad result. And people would rather be safe, secure, and have familiar surroundings than vote for something that, you know, that their conscience or, or values might tell them to vote differently on. So why do I say that? I say that because you have to be aware, you as a voter and just a citizen, you have to be aware of what types of messaging ploys people are using to try to get you and to realize you have to do your own research to see if it's based in fact or if it's not based in fact. And then if you're a political activist, you're an organizer, you do anything, or someone who's trying to drum up, drum up support for your own message, your own vision and campaign, you have to understand how to reach people in a way that, that will emotionally speak to them, but not in a basis purely of emotion. You have to speak with fact because I firmly believe that speaking, you know, speaking with emotion, that is how you will, that's how you will grip people. That's how you will hook them in. But speaking with fact and consistency, that is how you will earn people's long-term respect and trust. And ultimately, people are going to make decisions based on emotion. But if that is the only system that you're using, the smarter people will eventually see through you. They will see um, how much you lie. They will see how much you are being dishonest. They will see how much you smear the other party just to try and get support for yourself. You can't you can't expect people to uh, support you long term if all you're doing is being dishonest. You, If all you're doing is saying, uh, vote for me because I'm not them, that is not a winning argument. That That is an argument that shows you are just trying to get support because you're the other side. Uh, tell me what you believe in. Tell me what your arguments are. Tell me how you are going to make a better world, make a better country, make a better nation, uh, enact better policies. Show me what you are going to do independently and, and thoughtfully. You know, it's it's not enough just to say, yeah, vote, vote for me because I'm not Trump or vote for me because I'm not Biden. Because eventually people see through that. And what it often comes down to is kitchen table issues. So what are kitchen table issues? Well, it's it's anything that ultimately affects an individual or a family in their day-to-day -day life. So kitchen table issues would be, you know, I lost my job, or, you know, my son or daughter is in jail, um, or my my car broke down and I don't have enough money to fix it, um, or my job or my company just outsourced jobs to a different country, and so, you know, now this is happening, or there's, there's a lot of crime in our neighborhood. Uh, you know, thing, things that affect people in their day-to-day -day lives, things that affect the emotional, mental, spiritual, physical, financial health of someone's life. That is ultimately what is going to be most important to most people at the end of the day. Will there be people who have, you know, single? are there single-issue voters to this day? Yes, you, you can bet your bottom dollar that there are. Uh, there's always going to be people who are, you know, pro-immigration, anti-immigration, uh, pro pro-2A, anti-2A, pro-abortion, pro anti-abortion. Um, there's always going to be people who vote on these issues and, you know, make make their thoughts known just by doing a single-issue vote. But especially with, you know, independents, people who do their own research, there's always going to be people who have more complex voting mechanisms and archetypes for themselves than 
just a single issue. I'm I'm personally that way. Have I consistently voted libertarian because it's the leading candidate that most closely aligns with my views? Yes, I have. But it's also the candidates that I feel would do the best job. I'm not just voting I'm not just voting the party line. I'm not just voting libertarian because it's Joe Jorgensen or it's Gary Johnson. And I am fully aware that there are many aspects of, you know, all kinds of political candidates who are nowhere near perfect. You know, we would be kidding ourselves if we thought any political candidate was perfect. You're never you're never going to find political candidates who are so excellent that if we if we just got them into office that things are going to change. That's not how things work. There's so much congressional deadlock, you know, people, the congressional system as we have it, especially now, it works so hard to make things difficult. They work so hard to make it nearly impossible to get real things done. There's literal reams and reams of paper uh, of laws, you know, that are written every year, huge budget packages, huge spending packages that are pushed through with little, little if any mainstream coverage, typically the only time mainstream coverage will happen is if really bad things were happening, like the COVID, you know, the COVID bill, as they say, there's a lot of pork in it, which there was, I read, I read part of it, you know, it's, it was, I believe over 6,000 pages long. So I obviously didn't read the whole thing. I, I don't know who could have, there's tons of stuff that they're constantly trying to push through They're They're constantly trying to make a subjugated class out of everyone else in America so that they can have more power. You can be, you know, arrested, imprisoned, uh, or fined for essentially anything. People have to pay attention to this stuff and, and at least see what is going on uh, to understand what is my politician, you know, what is my representative trying to push through now? What In what way are they trying to limit my freedoms or take more money or speak for me in a way that I disagree with. Uh, no one speaks for you except for you. Always remember that. No one speaks for you except for you. You are an independent, autonomous individual. You can check us out on the web at biggerheartsdeeperminds.com. You can support the show by donating. There's a donate tab on our website where you can donate via Cash App, uh, Venmo, PayPal. You can also sign up for our email list by sending a blank email to bhdm at bcast.email. Again, that's bhdm at bcast.email. Obviously, bhdm stands for Bigger Hearts, Deeper Minds. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be bringing content to you on a regular basis. Hopefully, I'll be able to bring bring more content to you in the near future. But let's, let's keep going. So everything that has happened in politics for the last couple of years that's big, quote unquote big, like, you know, issues that affect everyday people, I guess, or things that are at least talked about to some extent in the mainstream media has made life worse for people. So everything big in politics that's happened recently has ultimately made life worse. So what do I mean by that? Well, a couple examples that we can talk about are inflation, technocratic power, uh, algorithmic power, which is really important, you know, overseas spending, so foreign aid to different countries, and taxation. So there's a lot there, but let's let's get into it. What many people don't know is that in income taxation, you know, the income tax, that that was not that was not always a thing. I don't remember exactly when it was first instituted, but it was 
first added relatively recently. We did not always have an income tax in the U.S. We we fought tooth and nail. We left Great Britain. We fought tooth and nail to set up a a brand new country where people, the people who created this country, wanted people to be free and exercise autonomous control over their own lives outside of a top-down governmental power structure. And they also wanted people to be free to pursue uh, a religious life outside of the power structure that they had known in their home country. So one thing that's really interesting to note as well about how this country got started is the founders of this country were definitely deists, if not Christians. There's no question that the people who created the country believed that the freedoms they were setting up were not just for anyone. They were for, in their own words, a moral and religious people. Now, obviously, they did not... They, they probably knew that this country was going to move to a place that would be not just not Christian at one point, but, but post-Christian. I mean, you could make the argument that those things are the same, but I'm sure they knew that, that things were always going to move in that direction. But what I would say is I don't think they ever saw things going in a direction where the majority of the people in this country were not Christian. Now, you might be scratching your head and asking me, well, wait a minute, Brad, I thought most of the people in America are Christian. Well, most people in America say they're Christian, but that doesn't mean they are Christian. There's a lot of proof of that. We don't really have time or the structure to get into that now. But what I would say is, you know, the freedoms that they set up, the founders of the country designed the freedoms to be used in a manner that people were responsible with. So what does that mean by it? Well, it means you they, they designed freedom to be, you know, someone is taking responsibility, but... They're taking responsibility and making choices that ultimately don't infringe on other people's same freedoms and choices, but are done in a way that, how would I put this? You are not being irresponsible or reckless um, or overtly selfish with your choices. You're not making choices that infringe upon other people's freedoms. It essentially means you're living a value, a value and moral, morally driven life that understands that even if other people don't make the same choices you do, you're still going to do what's most responsible and most respectable for the situation that you're in. So obviously that's that's pretty intentionally vague because you can't really uh, you can't really pinpoint things and say, well I'm I'm gonna do you know I'm gonna do whatever because I can't. You know that's you can make that decision, but that's not necessarily a decision you should make. And so an example of a responsible decision would be, you know, you you earn a certain amount of money per month, and what should you be doing with that money? Well, ultimately, you, you should be using money to cover your bills, hopefully have some money left over, um, but you shouldn't be you shouldn't be living a life where you are uh, debt ridden, and you're outsourcing most or all of your expenses to things that you know ultimately don't bring value to your life, things that you have to pay back a lot more. You should be making responsible decisions with your money so that you can live within your means and create a world for yourself that doesn't put 
your responsibility on someone else's back. You should also be making decisions that lead to a life where you are, you understand your role in the community and your livelihood and, uh, you know, making, making decisions that support the community that you live in. You should not be making decisions that outsource the choices that you've made. So what does that look like in practical terms? Well, it means taking care of your health so that when you need to go to the hospital, you can be there as inexpensively and for as little time as possible. I think one of the one of the biggest things that I think one of the biggest things that we struggle with as a country is we, we try to outsource our health to other people. We we live in a world where you can we live in a country certainly where you can eat whatever you want. You can take whatever poor health, you know, poor care of your health that you want, and there's a system around you that's that's going to pay for you instead of you being on the hook for your own decisions. So I firmly believe that we we need to make healthcare a situation where everybody has affordable access to it but you're on the hook for the decisions that you've made. So if, if you've lived a life where you, you've gained a lot of weight and you're consuming a lot of alcohol, you know, you're, you're putting a lot of toxins and bad things into your body, other people should not be on the hook for that. It should be you being on the hook for that. Um, you know, I, I think it, it does incentivize better behavior. Obviously, you can still have the freedom to make those decisions, and you should if you, if you want to, if that's the kind of life that you want to lead. But it's not fair to put other people's responsibilities on you, and it's not fair to put your responsibilities on other people. So I hope that was a good analogy uh, to some extent that describes, you know, what what the founders intended when they created this country. They wanted it to be an abundant place of opportunity for everybody. And by the way, they, they knew that they were using slave labor, and little to none of them wanted to do that. It was not ever meant to be a system that would perpetuate itself into the country. Obviously it did, and it did for way longer than we thought it would, and that even some people wanted it to. You know, slave labor of any kind was never meant in a free society, and I firmly stand against that for the rest of time. I will never, I will never support slave, slavery in any form whatsoever. With, with the way that people created this, this country to be, you know, it has to be a place where people people take responsibility for themselves. The, the United States ha has to be a country where everything that most people support is being being autonomous, making individual choices. Um, I'm not opposed to certain kinds of social safety nets, but I believe that they have to be created voluntarily and they can't be government run. Everyone wants to support other people. That's what nonprofits and volunteering and, you know, direct aid, that's what those things are for. It's not for, you know, government to do those things. We, we live in a society as well where values often dictate beliefs and beliefs often dictate actions. So it's impossible to live in a society where people take responsibility for themselves if taking responsibility for self is... Taking responsibility for yourself is not something that people value. 
if they value, if people value good things, they'll take good actions. If people don't value good things, they'll take bad actions or they'll take actions that harm themselves and other people. If people don't even know what their values are, then that's even worse. So it, it all starts from a place of understanding your values, knowing, knowing what those are, why you believe what you believe, and then putting that into action. That is something that I will hopefully do a future podcast episode about. But for now, I'm just going to move on to other other topics. Hopefully my video is still live here. It looks like I am, but hopefully it's still working out. Um, all right. So my GPS is getting a little bit weird here. All right. So let's move on to the next topic. Taxation, income, things like that. So why, why are... Why, why are prices going up? Why is there so much inflation? You know, why is the monetary system so, so screwed for lack of a better term? Well, it's because we are, we, the, the United States is a country of spending. We, we don't know how to, we don't know how to get ourselves out of an issue that is, the United States government has always been spending our way out of things. We, our, our currency, the dollar, is essentially the reserve currency. So what we do is we, we, we loan, you know, we, we give out loans, we spend our way out um, to get out of problems, and we recoup it through various means. But ultimately, we spend, spend, spend. We're essentially a nation of, of spendocrats, and the government believes they can spend their way out of any issue. Well, money has to work the monetary system has to go one of two ways. Either it's you know it's just like regular money and regular credit, where you can you can rack up your credit card and you know ultimately you you have to uh, pay down that debt somehow. You you can't just use credit forever because it will run out. Or the monetary system has to fundamentally change, and what was used as currency previously is no longer used. And so we are in a situation where at, for at least now, inflation has been the issue. Uh, inflation has been the solution to the issue. So that means that instead of spending less, they're going to spend more, and things are just going to ultimately cost more. So, so what does that what does that look like? Well, it it basically means that the U.S. government has dropped trillions of dollars into the U.S. economy. You know, we're we're trying to spend our way out of things again. We're trying to prop up systems, give businesses loans. We're, we're trying to keep things going monetarily as best we can because when you tell people essentially overnight that you you can't go out and spend the way that you did before, you can't go on vacations, you can't run your business, you can't keep your restaurant open, well, there's going to be a lot less money in the economy. So in order to keep certain systems and, and programs functional, you, you have to artificially pump money into it. I am by no means a financial or economic expert, but this is how I understand things to be. Because, you know, if if you're artificially putting a bunch of money into a system, then at some point, things things are going to. If something becomes more common, if you have you know, ten thousand cotton balls as opposed to one thousand, it's going to cost less because there's going to be so much supply that the demand is going to be low. And so when you're putting more money into the money supply, you are essentially creating a system where everything has to cost more. So in order to get the same the same value for the amount of money, 
you know, the, the price has to go up. And that we've seen that with gas prices, we've seen that with food, we've seen that with housing. You know, people wanted to move to different places of the country throughout um, the pandemic. And so it became a seller's market rather than a buyer's market. And because the because the supply changed so drastically, you know, prices went way, way up. There was people were corporations were buying houses and property more. But because everything was getting sold, uh, you know, when when you're the seller, you're in control. When you're in the buyer, I have you know, at least one, uh, two of my friends, two of my married friends, they got a house and, you know, because of the market that we're in, they ended up paying more for the house than what it's worth. And so to really distill it down as best I can, when, when you're spending, 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 you ultimately have to pay more for the same things because if there's more money in the money supply, it starts to everything starts to cost more because you have to pay more for the same the same value that something is worth it ultimately you know it ultimately puts downward pressure on economic growth because people have to take the money that they would otherwise spend on everything else like living expenses like rent food uh, clothing groceries uh, cars you know entertainment everything else becomes more expensive and so people take less risk they open fewer businesses they put less money into their existing business um all sorts of things happen and it, it just goes it goes downward from there so you you essentially have to make more to spend more and uh that's really hard if you had a low-paying job or you don't have a lot of uh you know transferable skills upward job mobility it really wreaks havoc on people's people's lives so the best thing you can do is uh you know preserve preserve your assets uh invest in strong commodities and invest in things that have proven long-term market value things like land property precious metals um art real estate things like that those things are proven winners and uh you know it's it's uh really smart to be using your money the best way that you can these days i i won't i'm not a financial advisor so i won't give financial advice but if i were one i would be doing the things that i just listed so so the technocratic elites um i'm a firm believer in any platform that gets created that is out there that people want to use it's popular it's easy to understand there's more people going to it uh, you know, we we should have a world and a system where uh, everything that people, anything that people want to partake in is what they get to enjoy. I fully believe in entrepreneurship and, you know, innovation and people who have a good idea should have the freedom and the opportunity to try it out and see how it goes. Um, I also believe that, you know, I know some people will agree with me on this, other people will disagree, but I believe that if a company is a private company, they can decide whether or not they want to shut someone down. Obviously, there are protections against that. Uh, people, people can't, people can't do that on the basis of you know race or gender um, or religion, things, things of that nature. We do have those protections for really good reasons, and I want that to stay that way. And if if companies ever are discriminating against others for uh, religion um, or personal view, personal religious views. 
then uh, you know, or race or gender, we obviously have to we have to put a stop to that. But uh, you know, we we can't we can't have a world where innovation and freedom is not allowed. I'm all for comp- competition. Um, everything that we're doing with you know Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Google's not really social media, but obviously they own YouTube, so it's essentially the same thing. Uh, Pinterest, you know, I I appreciate these companies and the services and you know platforms that they provide, but we we can't we we can't have a world where people don't have the freedom to start new platforms if they don't want to. If if you uh, if, if they want to rather, if if you have a if you have a platform and you own it and people want to use it that's great if you have a platform that people want to use and your platform skews in a particular political direction i don't think that's so great because you're essentially creating the same types of problems that people often complain about people talk about falling into rabbit holes a political division and you know being being in a world where people get siphoned into these social media discussions and beliefs where they're not open to other ways of thinking. Well, the way that happens is when you ban other people from using your platform. If you're truly a free, free speech, open-minded platform, you would you would understand and support the fact that people disagree. A fundamentally healthy sign of any society is that people can disagree and still be civil with each other. So it's it's not a good thing when people are creating a platform and saying we want to get rid of you know, they're, they're putting disagreement under the guise of extremism and, you know, just differences of view and, you know, any anything that's ultimately political language. People have to be honest and say, this is a platform for people who think this way. But if they say that, then they're coming, they're coming right out and saying, well, only people of this political viewpoint can use our platform. Well, if, if other people create a platform and it's kind of in opposition to that, you shouldn't be surprised that people did that because it's just signifying that you're you're not being as open-minded as and as inclusive as you purport to be. And that's that's a really big issue because everyone should be free to talk with each other. You you can obviously choose who you don't want to talk with, um, but you should have just as much freedom to choose who you do want to talk with. So I'm firmly of the belief that as competition with social media platforms and just media platforms in general increases, we're going to see people of very different political stripes and mindsets all coming under one roof. Um, I feel like Anomaly is a great example of that. I feel like Tim Pool is a great example of that. Um, I've really started to enjoy, uh, you know, Chrissy Meyer and Blair White and uh, Gothics usually has some really good content as well. Uh, you know, these are just some off the top of my head. There's many more. Um, Again, the Reason Roundtable, I feel like the guys and gals over at Reason do an excellent job of covering um, a wide variety of content from different perspectives, too. They, they don't always agree with each other, and I find that fantastic because that is where real discussion happens. So, you know, the, the technocratic elites only have as much power over you as you give them. If, if you're of the mindset that you don't want, you don't want people to have, you know, power over you uh in any way then either get off the platform or create your own you know i'm not saying that you can't use twitter facebook instagram google all these things but uh you know i i've found the more i've shifted away from some of these platforms and and used them less 
things have gone really well. And I really, I really like that about just not only in my mental state, but it's a lot easier for me to not feel like I'm going head to head as often with family or friends. And I, I just, I see less of people's opinions. I see more of the news and just facts and reports. And I still care about people's opinions. I still learn, I still learn a lot from people's opinions, but it's, it's not at a point where I feel like I'm suffocating under the weight of the social media world, if that makes sense. I think it, as long as you've got a balanced diet of your you're consuming, you know, well-rounded content. You're not consuming heavily biased content like Fox or CNN every day. You have a worldview. You understand the news in the context of your worldview. You know what you think and why you think it. You can defend your own positions. And you like talking with friends and family when it's healthy and appropriate to do so about these things. Then I think you're good to go. Um, I don't. I don't think there's any issues with being in the political sphere as long as you are honest. You are reading every day. You're you're giving yourself good content to digest, and you really care about uh, you know you, you care about people and the outcomes of what people have to deal with. Um, and by the way, you can care about people and still be an independent or a libertarian as well. I think I think some of the people who care about other people the most are independents and libertarians because they recognize, hey, I want people to do well, and so I I want there to be. A world without taxation and income burdens and I want to get rid of inflation I want to get rid of the Fed I want to get rid of monetary systems that oppress people and make it difficult for people to pay their bills and I want to give people everything they've earned um, you know and I want to live in a world where people get to make uh, they get to receive the results of their own decisions and and the responsibilities that everybody has whenever they wake up to live their life that's ultimately how we learn and it's how we grow into healthy and mature individuals. So with that, I think I'm going to close out this video for today. I hope you've enjoyed watching this. If you end up watching this later, I apologize for some of the interruptions and blips. Um, obviously driving while I'm doing this, driving has to uh, come first um, and it always does. But uh, yeah, thank you for watching and hope to see you in another episode. Check us out on the web at biggerheartsdeeperminds.com and uh, everywhere else that we make content. Thank you very much.